and hello. We're live with the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, we're working with StreamYard this time. It's excited to be able to get some live chat in for you. Uh, my name is Blake Murphy on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7 is below. You can see Johnny up over here in the corner. And then we have Damien, our uh, newest staff writer for Revenge of the Birds, checking in today. Super excited to have you on the show, Damien. Hey, I'm, I'm excited to be here, man. So I appreciate you guys, uh, you know, throwing out that olive branch to let me on. That's awesome. Well, hey, tell us a little bit about your background, at least for the most part. Just, you know, some of how about how you started up with at least being able to, you know, started writing about football in general, part of some of your journey, at least overall, and uh, particularly is when it relates to the Arizona Cardinals. Well, I mean, uh, for me, man, I've, I started out at a very young age with football. You know, uh, I tell everybody, like, my mom, I was probably maybe around one, two years old. My mom would record the games on VHS from Sunday and play them all throughout the week so that I could sit still while she cooks and cleans throughout the week. And until I was probably about five years old, and I'm like, wait, I'm seeing the same thing. I saw Sunday, mom, and you know, uh, but that, that's just that was that speaks to the love of the game for me. And it started at a very young age, uh, play all through high school and everything like that. Um, and for me, like studying film, evaluating players is a passion of mine. And I really got my um, kind of freelance writing uh, started out, well, say, probably five six years ago um, with uh, it's called Couch Ride Report. Uh, was the editor there spent time you know as a writer covering the draft and college football and everything and then i kind of start progressing moving on now you know of course for the college football aspect of it i uh and, and from the draft i'm working with eric crocker and the crew over at crocker report and um i was with the Bengals at fansided when i initially started covering the nfl team it was with the Bengals, and uh we had an editor that left and he went to cover the um the cardinals and he's like hey you know we have a small group i would you know, you're one of my favorite people um, and you're a rock star and I want you, you know, to jump ship, basically. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, I was like, that's fine. I was like, man, I love Kyler Murray, one of my favorite players coming into that draft, um, you know, and I was like, I'm all for it. So, you know, that's so why I switched over, right? I think this was a little bit, I think it was after the DeAndre Hopkins trade. So that made it a lot more fun to having to talk about him as well. And, you know, and I spent some time talking, you know, dealing with the, the Cardinals for um, fan side for the uh, Raising Zona. And then I got the opportunity, you know, shout out to Seth and uh, the whole Revenge uh, Revenge of the Birds crew for uh, welcoming me in, welcoming me, welcoming in, me in, basically. That's great stuff, man. Yeah, I love what Eric Crocker does as well for all that's a great connection to be able to have. So uh, let's talk a little bit at least about with some of the Arizona Cardinals pivot a little bit, maybe some of your perspective on the team. Uh, some of the news that just happened this last week, uh, John and I had a podcast talking last week about uh, just with the Julio Jones trade, if that was a missing piece for the Cardinals or if the cost was just too high, whether it was contract or other reasons. Um, he goes and signs with the Tennessee Titans, which is the Arizona Cardinals rival. And uh, speaking from maybe a corner perspective at least with Eric Crocker a lot of people have questioned whether the Cardinals have someone who can stop you know not just AJ Brown but now AJ Brown and Julio Jones and this is a move at least that the Cardinals they're already paid AJ Green so I think a lot of it makes sense to not you know spend another second on a player what do you think maybe the impact is this a move that helps the Titans out a bit is this a move that the Cardinals should be kicking themselves over what's some of your thought at least overall when it comes to the Cardinals week one opponent and adding the likes of Julio man adding Julio to that offense you know um for the past couple of years Derrick Henry was ranking in the top I would say anywhere from top 10 to top five in terms of running backs in terms of um, percentage of runs where he saw eight plus defenders in the box. Yeah, that will be no more. When you have AJ, you have AJ Brown on the outside, you have Julio Jones on the opposite side, there's no way you're going to bring a safety down into the box and say we're going to load up and stop Derrick Henry. There's no lot unless you have two Jalen Ramseys, which no team has, there's no way that you can comfortably say we're going to play single high, press man, and we're going to just trust that our defense is going to get back there to the quarterback. We're going to stop, you know, the run, and we're going to be able to lock up these two premier receivers. So for me, I think offensively, that puts them in the perfect position. Now, the ball's in Ryan Tannehill's court. He's been praised a lot since he took over for Tennessee. <clears throat> but for me, now there's really no excuses for you not to have 
almost an MVP-esque season with the weapons you have. You have a tremendous run game, good O-line. They're going to, you know that they're going to run the, the stretch out, the, the outside stretch run game with Derrick Henry. It's going to be a lot of play action, naked boots, um, things of that nature. So that's going to be, for, for me, Tannehill, he's, he's in, he, I don't know, besides Mahomes and maybe another quarterback or two, no one really has the, that type of triplet when you look at the two top receivers mm. and a running back like Tennessee. So Julio Jones definitely puts them over the top offensively in a great way. It's going to be difficult for – because to me, still with the with us at the Cardinals, the cornerback position is still a weakness in my opinion. You know, losing Patrick Peterson, not spending a high draft pick. I, I, I do like Tate Gowan and Marco Wilson's potential. But, again, you're going up against A.J. Brown and Julio Jones out the mm-hmm. gate. So it's like that's going to be that's going to be difficult to game plan for. The key is going to be, uh, you know, uh, the, the pass rush. You know, uh, Chandler Jones healthy. Then you bring in, you know, you have J.J. Watt. Uh, I think it's uh, young man's name is Gardeck, uh, who's co- who came off the bench and, and provided some good pass rush last year. So that's going to be really important, getting after the quarterback. But, of course, trying to stop Derrick Henry so they can't just play action you to death for four quarters. Absolutely. We're joined by New Revenge of the Birds staff writer Damian Parson talking Cardinal football and specifically week one against the Tennessee Titans. Damian, it's a game I looked at from the jump and thought, you know, this Tennessee team, I think they've kind of hit their plateau. Uh, They, you know, regressed a little bit last year after reaching the AFC title game two years ago. They lose their offensive coordinator. They lose tight end Jonu Smith in free agency. They lose Corey Davis. They had regressed defensively each of the past few years um, under a defensive head coach. And I thought that opener was a prime upset for the Cardinals to come in and beat them on the road, only a a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Now, even with Julio Jones, Tennessee is now a a three-and-a-half-point favorite. But I agree with you on all counts. It just represents the ultimate mismatch for the Cardinals in their back seven. Yes, they have Buda Baker. I'm a big fan of Byron Murphy. It's going to be interesting. You're going to see Byron Murphy cover, I would imagine, A.J. Brown in this game. The Cardinals, of course, could have had A.J. Brown opted to take Murphy 33rd overall two years ago. But just that that presence of Julio Jones, you're going to be relying on former Titan Malcolm Butler there. It's not a mismatch uh, that I think, or it is a mismatch, I think, that favors Tennessee. Uh, Damian, I, I want to quickly pivot to a topic of discussion that you know Blake and I covered probably the last quarter of last season, and that was Kyler Murray's play, specifically after it looked like he had worn down overuse of his legs. He was a different quarterback second half of last year. First half, he was running at will. They incorporated that in a lot of different aspects, and the Cardinals were very successful as a result. It's five and two, six and three, their record after nine games. But it was a Thursday night game against the Seattle Seahawks in which he took a big shot and just really wasn't the same from a dynamic playmaking standpoint, and it's come out, and there have been a couple articles that have highlighted this, that the Cardinals can't shoulder, Kyler Murray can't shoulder the offense with his legs alone. And you've seen, they've gone out, added Rodney Hudson at center, solidifying the offensive line, specifically the interior. They've added A.J. Green. They've added Rondell Moore via the draft. What is your opinion on kind of the best usage for Kyler Murray? Are they they going to be able to complement his running ability with the intermediate passing game that that has been essentially non-existent each of his first two seasons? I think adding those those other pieces is going to be really big for Cliff Kingsbury because he was overly reliant on DeAndre Hopkins last year. I believe it was – I can't remember if it was the second – it was the first matchup against the Rams. There was a ton of pass. I looked at uh, Kyler Murray's passing chart. If you, if you look at it, majority of the passes were either behind the line of scrimmage or to the left of the offense. Who lines up on the left? DeAndre Hopkins. He's the X. And so Andy Isabella was unreliable. They, they couldn't find consistency with Christian Kirk. So now I'm bringing in A.J. Green to flank uh, DeAndre Hopkins as the Z, putting um, both uh, Christian Kirk and Rondell Moore in the slot when you go to four wide receiver sets. That creates a lot of versatility from the offensive standpoint and to me i know they brought in james connor but i i've I've been i've been very vocal about this and in my first piece with you guys chase edmonds is the guy for me 
And, yeah. and this is he's the guy that they need to rely on and lean on in the run game and not just the run game. Use him as a satellite back where you move him all along the, the offensive um, formation. Find those mismatches with those linebackers and even some safeties. Uh, get the ball in his hands, in space. Kind of, And like I said, Rodney Hudson is going to help so much on the offensive line because he is so intelligent. He arguably is the best center in football. He's strong at the point of attack in the run game. He's intelligent and has great uh, FBI football intelligence when it comes down to picking up twists and stunts. I love that ability, what he brings to the table there. And as well as you can leave him on the island to block one-on-one and you can combo block in other areas. So I think for me, looking at this offense, they need to rely on, I want them to rely on Kyler's arm more than his legs. Yeah. You know, and, and just allow him, now he has the pieces where he can, be comfortable throwing the ball, right? Because I watching some of the tape, you know, the All-22 last year, you saw him target Andy Isabella, and it, the chemistry wasn't there. The camaraderie wasn't there, where they, the timing was so off, where it's just like the ball is either behind or too far in front, and Isabella's just kind of like, you know, I don't know where I need to be, it just mm-hmm. seemed like. And it was just kind of hard to watch. But now with A.J. Green and those guys there, and, and Rondell Moore, um, and I highlight, highlighted in my piece uh, you know, yesterday, Rondell Moore is extremely, like he's extremely versatile and explosive. And the one part about it with Rondell Moore is that he can give you, he can give you snaps out of the backfield, out of the slot, in bunch. You can do a lot of different things with him because of his ability to make things happen in space. Yeah, I think that's great overall, Damien. Uh, Moore is a guy that I feel is, um, when it comes to the air raid specific type of offense, being able to have these short passing yards, being able to make yards after catch, and then being able to send a guy deep uh, at the same time to be able to essentially uh, take route of teams. What I think that I agree with for you is um, I think the two areas I saw that Kyler needed to improve some, one of them was just throwing on the run. It seemed like too often teams would, you know, he would just kind of look at either a guy would separate or he wouldn't feel comfortable while throwing on the run so he would just say hey i'll take off pick up you know 10 to 11 yards see if i can get the first down or get closer and prefer to have that approach than maybe taking the big play i think over time he became a little bit more comfortable on some of those non-designed plays i think of the larry fitzgerald touchdown in the eagles game where he's rolling out to his left throws back against his body and fitzgerald adjusts to the catch i think it's a level of trust like you said that needs to be developed with some of these receivers and outside of DeAndre Hopkins, it will be interesting how the impact of moving Kirk to the slot, having AJ's routes, he's not the same deep threat I think he used to be, but he still has the same hands, still has the same ability to, I think, at least get some separation, um, depending on if they use him right. Bengals, you know, tried to use him like the old AJ Green, and he was not able to get separation at all. So uh, let's talk a bit then about with Cliff Kingsbury's offense with when it comes to designing and kind of, I guess you could say, scheming guys open to, you know, players who are just, you know, reading different concepts or coverages and learning the offense. How much of the weight do you think falls onto Cliff this year to be able to, you know, prove that he's going to be this type of offensive genius um, that everyone wanted him to be essentially coming out? You listen to, and we'll talk about the Sean McVay and uh, Peter Schrager podcast he was on in a bit. Like, I think that he's a guy that you almost want to succeed, but with that stalling that we saw of the offense last year, Kyler Murray, even when you said, you know, they relied too much on his legs and didn't have the passing game, how much of this do you think resolves around, you know, just the talent at wide receiver, or how much of this is, you know, Cliff Kingsbury just being a step behind NFL defenses, and that's a step that he needs to take forward? Uh, this is a huge year for, Cl- for, for, um, for Cliff, in my opinion. Because now, as we talked alluded to earlier, last year, you know, the wide receiver position just wasn't great. You know, you had DeAndre Hopkins, you had Christian Kirk here or there, but it wasn't a, you know, Dan Arnold, you know, showed some flashes, um, you know, as a tight end, but it really was not, it wasn't a lot of talent there. And, um, and now you have ample talent, right? You have a lot of it. And you can be creative with your route concepts. Um, and, and when you, like I said, we're talking about Rondell Moore. If Cliff, if Cliff Kingsbury uses him correctly, he can be someone that defenses have to account for in that short game, which would then open up uh, AJ Green, a Christian Kirk on the backside going over the top on the over route or or skinny post. Like you have to, you know, I, I, I always talk about Tom Brady. People always like he thinks and dunks. 
when he was in New England. But then he would go over the top to Gronk or whoever the, the one deep threat that they had because it's kind of lulling you to sleep. It's forcing those safeties to come mm-hmm. up and be aggressive. So you kind of take what the defense gives you, and then that's when you hit them over the head and go deep downfield. But Cliff definitely has to be as, as creative as possible, and he has the weapons to do so. Uh, like I said, I want to see now, I want to see more in the run game. I want to see him get more creative there, um, getting Chase Edmonds out in space, get him the ball as much as possible. Um, and like I said, looking at DeAndre Hopkins, yes, you're going to give him as many targets as, as possible, but you don't have to force feed him the ball anymore. You know, you can get it to Christian Kirk because with DeAndre Hopkins, he's going he's gonna to command a safety over the top. We know that. He's going to command a safety. And so what does that do for everyone else? That kind of gives them a lighter load, more space to work with. They don't have to worry about have, seeing multiple coverages or multiple defenders in that area because when guys are, are rolling and sliding to DeAndre Hopkins, that slant or that mesh concept with um, with uh, Christian Kirk and, and uh, Rondell Moore is going to be wide open for Kyler and give him those easier passing windows because just like a running back, a quarterback – needs those reps to get into a rhythm and that's when the things the game starts to slow down for him so um i, I definitely think this is a big year for cliff like i said the offense last year started off great it was offense was rolling and humming for you know for for the most part the first eight or nine games and then it just sputtered and you know like i said the lack of weapons to be to have that trust with i would say and, and I, I for me looking at the offense i don't believe cliff was able to call the type of plays and concepts he desired because of the lack of talent. Yeah, I, I would echo that, Damian. I know that, goodness, the Andy Isabella draft pick is one of the more unfortunate ones in, in recent memory, given the fact that, you know, you had Scary Terry on the board, you had DK Metcalf available, uh, and, you know, that was that was Cliff's baby. That's that's the player that Cliff had, had identified uh, it wasn't my favorite pick at the time, but I was anxious to see how Cliff could maximize him. And I think it says all it needs to say when the team opted to make him in- inactive for the large majority of the second half last year. And the Rondell Moore draft pick kind of solidifies Andy as, as on the outs. He may be on the roster this year, but I don't expect him to have a significant role. Uh, let's pivot to the defensive side of the ball if we could. And, and this was the second consecutive first round that the Cardinals used their first overall pick uh, on an inside linebacker. So you've got Xavier Collins now in the fold, who has essentially been named the uh, current Mike linebacking starter, uh, the heir apparent to um, our, our good buddy, Jordan Hicks, who look, looks like he could be on the way out. Uh, he's been able to, to seek out a trade with other teams that has not come to fruition yet. Um, and then you've got the 2020 first round pick Isaiah Simmons. So you've got two, six, four, and a 6'5 uh, inside linebacking pair that I know a lot of fans are excited to see be maximized in this Vance Joseph-led defense. What are your realistic expectations for that pairing this year, given that uh, I think a lot of us could agree that Isaiah Simmons' growth might have been stunned last year by the fact that there was no OTAs, no minicamp, no r- rookie minicamp. The fact that he was kind of behind the eight ball till about midseason, I think was underutilized for much of the season. Now he's got a full year with the team. Xavier Collins looks like to be a little bit more ahead of where Simmons was just from a, a three down linebacking standpoint, what are your expectations for those two players this year? I mean, th- that this is probably the most athletic kind of combo at the middle linebacker position that, that is in the league right now. And they have the tremendous size, uh, tremendous athleticism. Both can drop uh, spot, drop in the coverage. Both can play man coverage in the slot against uh, tight ends and even running backs. And we saw it a couple times last year as Isaiah Simmons started to get kind of get his bearings where he was dropping in the coverage and he was making plays on the ball in space, catching interceptions, batting down passes, being disruptive in the passing lanes. And now when you I, I think back to what um go back a couple years ago where Bill Belichick had uh Jamie uh Jimmy Collins and Dante Hightower in the middle, and they would do a lot of A-gap blitzes and cross dog stunts and different things of that nature and just create havoc for the for the offense whether it was the offensive line the running backs and pass protection guys coming on crosses were getting hit and getting put you know knocked down because these big athletic physical linebackers are there and the crazy thing about it though both Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons are extremely versatile 
So you can rush them off the edge. You can line them at the overhang. Um, you can line them in the slot. Like you can do a lot of different things with them. So my, my, my expectations is I expect to see a better Isaiah Simmons, a consistent Isaiah Simmons. Now, because, you know, going back to Clemson, uh, I, I, I wish I had the graphic in front of me. But uh, coming into that draft, uh, you know, in 2020, was it 2021 draft or 2020 draft? Um, mm-hmm. uh, when coming into that draft, they had a, I think it was Pro Football Focus, uh, pretty much charted where he lined up and the snaps he played at all the different positions safety, corner, uh, edge, linebacker, you know, nickel, overhang. He played everywhere. So that kind of stunted, like you said, stunted his growth a little bit because now Vance Joseph is like, okay, I want you as my middle linebacker. And Isaiah's not used to that per se. Whereas Zayvon Collins played on the edge and mostly at linebacker. So he's a little bit more comfortable uh, at that position. So I think uh, Isaiah Simmons is going to be better. You know, full offseason, he's able to, you know, he has the playbook under control. He knows what is expected of him and what role he's playing. Because well, a lot of people were like, man, Vance Joseph is pigeonholing him. And I, I, I kind of felt that way as well. I was like, man, just use him according to the skill set. You know, same thing with Buda Baker. Remember Hassan Reddick? They didn't know what to do with him for years. You know, and then last year, they said, okay, you know what? Rush the passer. And he was great. Because you finally find that role that he was comfortable with. So I think just just uh, working with Simmons, making sure he's comfortable. And then, of course, Z- uh, Zayvon Collins, pretty, you let him go. Let him be that middle linebacker kind of edge guy. Like I said, I, I really look at him similar to a, a, um, a Jamie Collins where, because Jamie Collins was a linebacker, a safety, and a defensive mm-hmm. end at Southern Mississippi. So, you know, he had that versatility. So just use use these guys according to the skill set. Let them create havoc for offensive lines and, and, and attack. You know, that's that's the main thing because you you're going to have to get after um, uh, whoever, whether it's Jimmy Garoppolo or Trey Lance, whoever's lining up for San Francisco. You know you have to get, get after Russell Wilson. And, and now the Rams have a guy that can actually push the ball downfield consistently with Matthew Stafford. You don't want our DBs holding the ball too long with the speed and athleticism that the, and the, the route running they have in Los Angeles. So, hey, I, I believe, you know, using these guys, blitz packages, using them, um, you know, disguise coverages, just get find ways to create mismatches with them. Get find advantageous situations for them, and I think it will really benefit the whole entire defense. Yeah, I, I agree with you with the concern like you talked about. Um, I think that – if you look at how, like you mentioned, the Patriots, if you look at Isaiah Simmons as the Jamie Collins, my hope is that you could look at having like the Dante Hightower type would be what you'd see with Zayvon Collins, the guy who's able to play the mic. It was interesting with um, Isaiah because um, Bill Davis went on to, I think, the Big Red Rage, the Cardinal show they do with Ron Wolfley and Paul Calvisi. They talked about how, as a rookie, they treated Isaiah Simmons like Isaiah Simmons at Clemson, where he was trained in six different defensive positions. And we saw him play at six different defensive positions. That was kind of the ease of mind for me to be like okay it's not that they're just gonna only lump him into being like a a mo linebacker in their system he played mike he played mo he played the sam which was the same as hassan reddick that edge rushing position that sometimes drops back to cover backs or tight ends that was his uh reddick's more natural position and then they also had him play the safety positions as well and in some of the ways you get to see how it paid off with those blitzes against russell wilson simmons drops back into coverage and then you also see i think um sometimes that he played in that safety position later in the season which was able to at least benefit with the Cardinals for the most part, especially against a young uh, quarterback. Um, let's go ahead and ask about the corners themselves because this is probably the position that most Arizona Cardinals fans had concern about. We talked a bit about Darquez Denard being added to the team as a former guy who knew Vance Joseph's system. Uh, that probably comes off the he- the uh, heels of Jonathan Joseph retiring, spent a long career in the NFL, was on the Cardinals last year. So your depth chart right now looks like it's Malcolm Butler and uh, right now at least what's interesting, we actually know from OTAs, it's Byron Murphy and um, uh, let's see, Byron Murphy and Robert Alford, who are corner one and corner two through the first part of OTs. Now, some people may read into that and be like, whoa, like, is Malcolm Butler not doing well? And it's, well, he's still learning the system that Alford and Murphy have been in for the last three years. So that's, I think, something that a lot of times there's you can read into stuff a little too much. But when it comes to the guys behind, like the Dar- Denard, the guys like Tay Gowan, and their fourth-round pick that they traded up for in Marco Wilson, how does the rest of this depth chart shake out, and are we going to be dependent? 
depending on Robert Alford, or is this a spot where you know you just kind of write him off after having these three to four injury riddled seasons? He he hasn't even played a regular season snap for the Cardinals since he was signed, and he was signed, if I remember correctly, all the way back in the Steve Wilkes era. It's just been incredible how long he's been on the team and how it just has not seemed to happen for him. Yeah, the cornerback position is very. It's going to be probably the battle that I'm so excited about most coming into the training camp when we get there, just to see how it plays out, how, how everything kind of finishes out for but heading into the preseason. And that's what the preseason – I forgot that we have a preseason because we didn't have one last year. So now that we have a preseason, again, it's going to be fun too because that's where you see those battles kind of edge out and, and they're complete, whether it's Marco Wilson, Malcolm Butler, Tay Gowan. I expect one of these guys to kind of catapult themselves into that direct competition with Alfred. I believe Byron Murphy's fine. He's going to be – where he is. He's going to be at the top of the depth chart. But that number two, number three, number four spot, to me, even with Alfred being there right now um, at, at CB2, currently in, in OTAs and minicamp, I think it's up for grabs. And I look at the talent, you know, Malcolm Butler, Super Bowl champion, he has, you know, playoff, a lot of playoff experience with the Patriots and with the Titans. Um, he has that, that type of leadership and pedigree that's going to help these young guys come along and teach them how to be a pro's pro and different things of that nature. But now look at Marco Wilson and, and uh, Tay Gowan, two athletic, uh, nice, you know, nice length corners, especially Tay Gowan, long levers. Um, you know, I remember talking to him, um, you know, kind of we were messaging back and forth over the f- over the fall last year and just watching his tape. And uh, one of the things I, I saw from him, I was like, you know, looking at his tape and saw seeing him in zone, I asked him about it. He was like, I'm more of a press man corner. I'm long. I'm, I have legit speed, can recover. I want to get into the face of the receiver. I want to throw off timing. I want to disrupt everything. And I, and I told him, I said, I see that on tape because you're more comfortable at the line of scrimmage, being able to cat and mouse with the receiver, get your hands on these guys, and be physical. And, and then with his length, I think that's going to come into play as well. If he's able to come out into the training camp, show himself against you know, granted, I mean, it's tough competition with DeAndre Hopkins and A.J. Green and those guys. But if he's able to go out there against these premier type of receivers and, and Hall of Fame-esque receivers, dare I say, and, and, and show off, show well, him or Marco Wilson, that's going to do well for them. And, and, and they may not start the season off in the starting rotation, but they will earn more and more reps, more and more snaps. And one thing I remember Tay saying, he didn't, he doesn't mind playing special teams, which we all know will land you a spot on the roster at the end of this whole ordeal. When you're able and willing to play special teams, that's the way of working your way into a starting lineup because it keeps you on the, on the field and it keeps you on the roster. So I definitely think, you know, there's going to be a very fun battle to watch. I, I don't, like I said, Alfred had, like you alluded to, Blake, Alfred has so much experience in this system being here for so long that he does have the leg up, but I do, I could definitely see Malcolm Butler, once he gets the playbook down, um, kind of fighting him and taking that spot from him while Tay Gower and Marco Wilson, and even Denard, Denard is another uh, press man corner as well, uh, likes to get his hands on receivers, jam them at the line of scrimmage. And with the pass rush that we have, um, that's not a bad thing. You know, if you, if these guys can consistently play aggressive, play physical, but play smart at the line of scrimmage, with J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones and the rest of those guys getting at the quarterbacks, it will definitely speed up the the, the, the process for, for the passing attack, which will help the cornerbacks uh, tremendously. Damian, I want to transition to the from the secondary to the front seven, specifically the defensive line. The Cardinals' front three in their 3-4 alignment has been – uh, well below average, arguably one of the worst units in all of football since the departure of Calais Campbell. They have tried and failed on, on numerous occasions with Robert Kimdichi, Zach Allen, to try to invest in some high caliber, high draft picks to fill the void left by Campbell and company and have not been able to replicate that. Last offseason, Steve Keim went out, signed Jordan Phillips, fresh off a nine-and-a-half sack season, he disappointed, played about half the season, um, year one into a big contract. He comes back this year. So what did they do? They pivoted and brought in uh, multi-year defensive player of the year, J.J. Watt, uh, on a two-year contract. And while it still remains to be seen as to whether or not Watt is the player that he once was in Houston, he's had some up-and-down years specifically dealing with injuries, 
he has been very vocal in the offseason about spending time with his teammates. And that leadership aspect is something that, frankly, we haven't seen in some time, bringing players together defensively. What kind of impact, if any, do you think Watt's arrival will have on this team, um, specifically as we enter a brutal NFC West that you need cohesion on the defensive line and you need players that have done it at the highest level like Watt before? Uh, his experience is going to be so big for those guys, you know, whether it's Rashard Lawrence, Leckie, uh, Leckie Fotu, um, you know, all of those guys. It's going to be so important, just his leadership. He knows what his defensive player of the year, sack master, a generational talent. His name, his presence alone is going to take some of some of the pressure off a lot of these guys. And I'm, I'm excited to see just on the field how um, – how they utilize him and Chandler Jones because when the when the signing first happened, I tweeted out a picture of Justin Smith and uh and Alden Smith, the Smith brothers back when they were in San Fran, and how they used those two together, lining them up side by side on those third longs. And, and it's just the 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 tits, the twist and stunt game between them was so dominant. You know, it was hard to defend and hard to stop for offensive linemen. And I'm looking at it like this is exactly what I want to see from JJ Watt. And uh, Chandler Jones, but um, you know, of course, you got Marcus Marcus Golden and some other guys that, that will definitely step into play. Uh, and then, of course, when you when you line JJ and Chandler side by side, all that's going to do is force the offensive line to to slide protection and shift their protection that way, which is going to give someone one on one coverage and one on one reps against another another offensive lineman. But just JJ, like I said, JJ was in a phenomenal. He's just a phenomenal guy, you know, seeing what he's done in the community since he's been there. He, he is an amazing person. And his intelligence, his just attitude is going to be so good for these, not just the, the defensive linemen, but then for, um, for Zavin and Isaiah, you know, because he can teach them, like, hey, I'm going to be able to two-gap at times and hold up blocks. You got to get out of the stance. You got to get there. Because if I can hold, if they if they double team and combo me, that's going to leave you clean. And I always talk about that. You know, Ray Lewis is the greatest middle linebacker of all time, but he hadn't hold Lodinata in front of him, and that kept him clean because Lodinata was a two gapper, and offensive linemen couldn't get to Ray Lewis. So um, I think with JJ Watt, you know, and of course Chandler Jones being Super Bowl champion, the pedigree of the playoffs. Now you have two guys that can talk to these defenders when they're in tight games in the NFC West and say, hey, we're not out of it. And these are guys that they that they will respect because it's like, hey, you've been there, you've done that. You know, it's, it's different when you have a you have a third or fourth year player trying to, you know, hey guy, we've been here together. You know what I mean? But when you have guys that been deep into the playoffs, that have seen, you know, that 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 Super Bowl and, and just breathe on the on the Super Bowl trophy, like, hey, I've been there. I have the ability to tell you, I can tell you what it takes to get there. I can tell you the long, the hard days, the long nights, what, what we have to do in the film room, because that's the other thing about it. a lot of young guys. They, a lot of times they have to be taught to, to really, to really like zone in, in the film room and understand, okay, this is so important because this is how, you know, what your opponent is trying to do, what they do well, what they don't do well. So having JJ uh, uh, Watt also with uh, Chandler Jones and then again, the, you know, the most vocal, probably most, one of the more vocal players on the team in terms of just his play style and everything else, Buda Baker in the back, in the back, in the back end, telling these guys, and again, Malcolm Butler as well. This, I love, you know, I love the defense from this aspect. It's a good mixture of youth and veterans where it's not just too one side. You don't have a bunch of 34 year old players on defense lacking in athleticism. You have some young guys that can learn from the, from the older guys and grow together. So that, like you said, that camaraderie is going to be really big, but I think the type of person JJ Watt is, it shouldn't, it shouldn't come, it shouldn't take long and it shouldn't come hard to him. Yeah. Larry legend always seems to be like, he's a, he's a guy who has always been that, 
type of leader that person people look up to on the field but he's never been more of this extroverted like gonna go grab the rookies and get them to already breakfast and like make fun of them post stuff on social to his you know five million followers larry's always just been that more quiet type of leadership who cares so much about being able to like you know focusing on his legacy and then challenging other guys for that one um i know it was interesting to see how we've everyone's seen how zaven collins you know is rolling down on the grass screen because he promised to bring breakfast didn't get it and you see some of the other players getting in on it whereas with larry it's like he i think it was dj humphrey said that fitzgerald didn't even talk to him like his whole rookie year said he was mad at me and then his second year it was almost like he had to earn his way into the league so it's interesting i think to see a different approach in that regard and i I kind of agree at least with you and that that was something that the cardinals have been needing as far as one of those guys who can step up in a lot of different ways and be able to be that type of person who like you get the whoa like the hush kind of factor at least when that person stands up and speaks Uh, i think that's really uh going to be a big plus for the arizona cardinals Uh, being able to see the effectiveness and health is something that will also be interesting but i just look back and unless injuries at least end up derailing the season completely Watt was pretty much working by himself last year on that terrible houston defense being able to put in some of these other talented guys around and having a bit more scheme mastery where hey if he gets some help because guys are lined up in the double a gap and suddenly protections are shifting to be able to have to account for and all of a sudden it's like oh you got Chandler Jones on this side one-on-one and J.J. Watt next to him and you shift your protection to the left and suddenly Marcus Golden flies in off the edge unblocked I think that could be something at least where maybe it's a little too high but I think back to if the Cardinals can be a team similar to the 2019 um, Niners, where they're able to essentially, you know, play with a strong pass rush up front, being able to stuff the run, have this athletic linebacking coverage underneath, then you may not need to worry as much about the defensive backs. And obviously, health will be a big part of that. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the offensive line and then also including part of that, the tight end position, which um, right now it seems like that we're seeing that Josh Jones is in the mix for right guard. We know that uh, the Cardinals offensive line coach. Uh, talked a bit about uh, this is Sean Kugler who's been um, not like quite a revelation but he's been kind of a godsend to this team that has never really had a kind of stable line the closest they got to it if I remember correctly was the 2015 season when you had a healthy Mike Yapati a healthy Jared Valdir um, Bobby Massey in the last year of his deal and Chris Johnson being able to just you know become a power back essentially since the speed was gone but his ability to read defenses and make cuts was not now you're looking at kind of this new veteran line coming back of DJ Humphreys with Justin Pugh sticking it at left guard. Obviously, the addition of Rodney Hudson is huge. How do you see some of these camp battles playing out? Is there concern that I don't, I'm not too concerned that Josh Jones hasn't plugged in at right tackle? But when it comes to this offensive line and the lack of depth at tight end, is there any places that we may see as a weakness for the Cardinals that pops up? And what may be the positive impact of just Adding in a center like Rodney Hudson, who is, I mean, you're going from one of the lower-ranked PFF centers in the NFL to, like, the number one guy over the last few years. That I don't think we can understate how important that addition might be to Kyler Murray. Absolutely. Because the center is essentially the quarterback of the offensive line, you know, and they're supposed to see, um, you know, the blitz packages. They're supposed to see the bodies moving, call out different things, call out the protection, and, and check the protection just like the quarterback is. And, um, you know, to to spot the, the ID, the mic, and, you know, dictate what's the strong side of the defense and, and the offense as well. So Rodney Hudson, like we talked about earlier, he's going he's gonna to be a huge impact, not only in the passing game, but also in the run game, helping Chase Edmonds and James Conner, um, you know, find running lanes on the inside zones and trap plays and things of that nature. Looking at, you know, the, the camp battles that I'm in, I'm interested because I'm, I'm a believer um, in, in the ability of uh, Lamont Gilliard when I saw him in college, uh, physical at the point of attack. And it, it, and that's for me, that's really big in the run game. Um, not just a guy that, that can get out and, 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 um, and move in the screen game, but, but can move bodies, reset the offensive line, play with some physicality rather than trying to be full finesse because that kind of that kind of that can handicap your offense a little bit. When when all when defensive lines know that hey you're full finesse, we're gonna get as physical with you as possible. And we're gonna send, we're gonna load up the, the box on you. We're gonna send multiple guys at your offensive linemen. And and again when you have guys who you're not that aren't trustworthy in picking up stunts and extra blitzers. Rodney Hudson can do that. He's going to help not just you know Kyler Murray, but I think from as a teacher, 
he can help Justin Murray as well. Um, I am intrigued by Josh Jones because he was the uh, what was the 2020 draft? I think he was the the sole offensive lineman selected. Uh, when, you know that that draft after we picked um, Isaiah Simmons because most people were expecting one of the top linemen, Tristan Wirfs, and one of those guys to be selected there um, to help solidify the line, and they went with Isaiah Simmons. So getting Josh Jones, I want to see what you know where they plug him, where he uh, where he lines up in camp. Because at the end of the day, for me, watching the tape, the week, the biggest weakness for me was the interior O line. Uh, if I can't, if I remember correctly, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. Was it wasn't Mason Cole the starter last year? Yeah, yeah, he was rated one of the worst centers in all of football. And now you get arguably a top three center in, in all of football yes. in Rodney Hudson. And, and and not just you know not just those rankings, but you even look at the body type. You know, Mason Cole was a slender. I think he's about two ninety five, or he was lower. He was less than three hundred. And then you look at a, you know, you look at Rodney Hudson, long arms, big, strong frame. He's going to help a ton for Kyler Murray in the pass protection. Um, and like I said, watching the, the interior O line not be able to open up run game. A lot of people, you know, coming into the season last year, everybody was really high on Kenyon Drake. And then as the season went on, people were like, oh, Kenyon Drake's not good. I'm like, it's not Drake. I was like, it's just the fact that the offensive line isn't getting a push because there were multiple games last year when Kenyon Drake had less than four yards per carry in the 3.3, 3.5 range. And then also that goes back to what we talked about earlier with Kyler Murray's legs. If you can generate a run game, that takes Kyler Murray, takes pressure off of him to generate one for you. So um, I, I definitely think, you know, I want to see what happens with Gilliard. I want to see uh, what happens with Josh Jones, whether he's at guard or at tackle. Kelvin Be- Beecham is getting a little long in the tooth. He's getting older. Uh, so, you know, uh, finding out if Josh Jones is actually an answer at right tackle would be would be very helpful. Um, and is like I said, someone to uh, to push Justin Murray at the right guard spot would be would be nice as well. Just to uh, at the end of the day, competition, man, you know, it, it lets you know who's really who really wants it. And it brings out the best of, of those who are ready to take that step. So I'm, I'm excited to see his development as well, because at the end of the day, no matter what receivers or running backs we have, if we can't block. It's not going to work. Yeah, I totally agree there. There's a presence to Kyler, at least, that seemed to bail the pocket sometimes too soon. And some of that, I think, is a level of comfort that comes with your offensive line. Uh, Obviously, with his size, that matters as well. Just being able to have an interior push that allows him to be able to get the ball in. I think too often we saw these sort of kind of brushing the passer, but looking for to not necessarily get after the quarterback, but just try to collapse more of the pocket and get the hands up. And that was something that affected, I think, in a lot of ways, just the ability to run those air raid mesh concepts. You got two guys running cross here, and that's an easy, quick way to be able to beat man coverage, get guys open. Um, I want to at least kind of talk a little bit about with the um, with Cliff and Kime. I put up and I'm looking at least with the and this is you know kind of cutting it close to the Phoenix Suns who've been rocking uh, very close. I had an article where I kind of compared some of how the Suns have managed to turn around from at the same time they were at the exact same point as the Arizona Cardinals back in 2018. They you know had the number one overall pick had gotten in a brand new. Um, Star Wars, like basically the worst team in their respective league. And now the Suns, at least, look like they're on their way to at least get to the um, NFC, uh, or I should say, this is the football terms there, (laughs) to at least get to the Western (laughs) Conference Finals, potentially. And so some of the things that I looked at is like, all right, what was really the start? And a lot of it at least seemed that it stemmed from, you know, they took Ryan McDonough, who had been the GM at the time, had a whole bunch of missed first rounders, uh, moved to James Jones, former player, a guy who had a whole lot of uh, experience, at least on championship championship teams um the biggest change seemed to be you know they brought in monty williams is the second point and then when you added the critical veteran leader to devin booker who they you know they did right by him gave him a max deal it was like those were kind of the first four things that stepped up i also interestingly enough noticed that the uniforms that they have were just like a huge upgrade as far as what they were previously and john you and i have been going on for it feels like since we started this podcast about new uniforms it's been since like 2005 so when it comes to being able to see a team kind of be able to progress what is the confidence level right now with kime and with cliff because 
you know, Cliff Kingsbury's on this podcast talking about how he regrets the play call that he did of having that pick six that was thrown by uh, Chris Streveler in the Rams game was like the play that he regretted the most as he missed the chance to go up against Sean McVay. Um, whereas his scheme has just kind of had the question of, you know, he doesn't have a lot of pre-snap motion, which a lot of times seems like, you know, there's times they flex Chase Edmonds I saw into the slot trying to identify whether it was, you know, man or uh, whether it was, you know, his own coverage that was being played. How much of this at least hinges on Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime as far as their futures are concerned? Like, John and I feel like it's almost a all-or-nothing type of season. Like, make the playoffs, try to strive to see if you can be where the Browns are at this last year of getting that one playoff win over a team getting a favorable matchup versus if this team goes has another eight or nine win season, like what kind of at least is the confidence level that you think we can have? And should the Cardinals be looking at maybe more of an overhaul similar to what the Suns did to have success? You know, it, I agree with you. I agree with both of you. You know, this is a all in season in my opinion um, because Steve Kime and, 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 you know, clues to him, you know, getting, adding athletes, you know, that you can use in a multitude of ways. And he's like I said, with Cliff Kingsbury, he definitely needs to add some more. And I think, to be honest with you, I was thinking about this recently, you know, watching some of the tape on the offense. And I was like, adding Rondale Moore, I really believe we're going to see more jet jet motion, orbit motion, um, because he's one of those spatial, those space players um, where – it's like, okay, I'm going to use you as eye candy. Let's get the defense to shift pre-snap and just get these guys, you know, you want them kind of more reading rather than reacting. So you want them still trying to read, okay, what's going on? And you use – that's what you use Rondell more in a lot of those pre-snap situations. But that's – I think that you made a great point. That is something that's definitely missing from this offense. You know, coming out and just lining up like it's 1944 is really not the way anymore. Like almost every offense in the league has pre-snap motion to help not just their offensive line, it helps their quarterback, helps their receivers, and and, and it confuses defenses. I, I did a film session last night on my YouTube channel of uh, the Jets running back Michael Carter and watching how um, Matt Brown was using his receivers in motion to hold their linebackers in gaps so that the running back can find creases. And that is so important to the run game as well as the, and as well as the passing game. You have guys going in motion. Linebackers don't want to move too quickly out of their lane, out of their gap. So you RPO it, and now you have Christian Kirk or Rondell Moore or whoever on the quick slant route that can go for 40 or 50 yards after the catch uh, because the linebackers are still flat-footed, waiting to read and react to what's going right. on. Right, yeah. Um, so that, that's big to me. But like I said, this is a big year for, for Cliff. And, and, and like I said, Kinda has done a great job giving him more weapons, giving him not just on offense, but defense as well. You know, yeah. like I said, because for a while, Kime, you know, kind of had like a little bit of a little, little off and on reputation when it came out to, to building the team, you know, selecting the right players, things of that nature. But he, in the past two drafts and off seasons, he's rebounded very well. I loved. I, I like what I see him. I've liked uh, what I've seen from him. Um, but now I think for me, it's mostly on Cliff. Cliff really has to come out and say, you know what? Yeah. I'm opening up the playbook, and we're getting we're we're coming out, sh- you know, shooting rockets, you know, all over the field. I am going to show you guys why. Because if you if guys remember, coming into that that offseason when he was uh, selected as the coach, there was a lot of blowback in the media. People were like, wait a minute, he's a he has had a terrible record in college. Uh, you know, he didn't win a lot. And, you know, yeah, he had, he had Baker at, for one, at, at one point. You know, he had Mahomes. But it was just like, what has he done to earn an NFL premium head coach job? This is yeah. the year where he has to prove that. Like, okay, I heard all of the talk. I didn't have what I needed the past two years. I have everything I need now. I'll show you exactly why they hired me. Yeah, it was interesting you talked a bit about the um, studying Michael Carter, his usage. I looked a lot at the Bills offense this last season to see, like, what was the difference between the Bills running a bunch of 10 personnel and the Cardinals, and it seemed like it was, like you said, pre-snap motion, being able to get some of those little bubble plays, and a lot of it was actually, like, play action from under center and using these two tight end looks, and that's something we've seen Kyler have a lot of success with, and so it was interesting that the Cardinals at least haven't used those types of looks that much. Yeah, definitely. The, the tight end position, um, I, I was hoping that we would, because this was a 
really good tight end class for the draft. It was, you know, a lot of depth, a lot of bodies, a lot of different guys, uh, guys that went undrafted, like Kenny Yaboa from Ole Miss and, you know, a lot of different skill sets. And that was, that was the one thing I was a little disappointed with that we didn't attack uh, or, or grab a, um, a tight end at some point during this offseason, especially after allowing Dan Arnold to, to sign with the Panthers. Yeah, let's let's talk about that um, because I know there's speculation in a lot of different facets still with this offensive skilled group. You know, will he or won't he? Larry Fitzgerald appears like he's ready to hang them up. There's speculation amongst the fan base that he could still come back and play tight end, which is just lunacy. Um, <laughs> if he's if he's coming back, he's playing receiver. But I, I do think he's going to opt to retire. Anxious to get your opinion on that. But I think one of the biggest kind of non-stories that we've made a story is the availability of Zach Ertz from Philadelphia. His, I think he's got family ties f- from Arizona. He clearly is on the outs with Philly. They'd like to move him. They have Dallas Goddard. Um, and I believe they took another tight end this year. His cap hit is sizable. He was injured last year. But as you mentioned, Dan Arnold was a, a focal point for much of last season. I always joke every time I watch all 22 – it's when they needed a big catch on third down outside of DeAndre Hopkins, it was Dan Arnold down the seam and they mm-hmm. subsequently let him walk. And now you figure Ertz has been, is available for the right price. Do you see that as a potential fit, both from a cap standpoint and potentially surrendering a draft pick or two for a player that I think could absolutely, if healthy, push this Cardinal offense over the top? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, Zach Ertz, you know, and like I said, he had a rough year last year, dealt with some injuries. You know, the entire offense had a bad year last year, right? You know, but you add him to this offense with the skill positions that we have right now, because remember, in Philly with Carson Wentz, he was the de facto number one. Defenses lined up week in and week out over the past couple of years to stop Zach Ertz first. Like, that was the, that was the key. He doesn't have to worry about that in Arizona because he comes in – and as much as teams will want to even pay him attention, you have to worry about A.J. Green still, and you know you have to worry about DeAndre Hopkins. Um, and, of course, Rondell Moore, Christian Kirk. It, I really feel like that is a, a, a scheme fit. I believe I believe he can really – because he moves all over the formation, uh, but especially when they go to zero personnel and they go spread out, no, you know, no running backs, nobody in the backfield, and he's lined up in the – you know detached from the line and kind of a nasty tight split on the seam, on the hashes, you know, he's going to have one-on-one and not even even just one-on-one, but he's going to, we're going to most likely see teams shift into zone coverage against our our passing offense when we go to spread. Cause it's like, how many, how many teams have four or five top corners that they trust to go out and play press man, unless they have a legit pass rush and that, that, you know, can counteract that. But Sure. If you don't have a, a great pass rush, you're not coming out and playing full press man, single high against these receivers. So you're going to probably see a lot more uh, man look and then dropping into zone. And Zach Ertz is great at finding the soft spot in the zones. And he can be that security blanket for Kyler um, as well. And like I said, his cap hit isn't r- ridiculous. It, it's a pretty, it's a pretty, you know, favorable in terms of bringing it into the fold. Um, I think draft compensation. I, I truly believe we could get get away with probably a fourth rounder. I don't think he, they're going to get anywhere close to a second or even a third because of the fact that there's no leverage. Everyone everyone in the league knows that these that these two that Zach Ertz and the Eagles are not on the same page. They they're on the same page in terms of splitting, but they don't want you know that marriage is over. So it's like you know there's no leverage to say hey we're not going to give them up for a fourth. I'm like well you're going to cut them so. If you don't give him to us for a fourth, we'll just sit back and wait for you to release him, and then we'll go ahead and put our bid in. So um, I think mm-hmm, he, he'll right. be a great – and like I said, Johnny, like he would li- literally put this offense over the top because, again, offensively it's all about creating mismatches and advantageous situations and scenarios for your quarterback and for your players. And he would be possibly the missing the last piece because right now – there is no reliable tight end. I like I do like Max Williams from a blocking standpoint in a way, and he's solid in the you know in the in the passing game as well. Mm-hmm. He's not Dan Arnold, uh, so we definitely need to upgrade that position some way somehow. Yeah, I agree there at least. That's uh, it's interesting because you know 
we talked about when you're talking with Dan Arnold. He had a better season than uh, than Zach Ertz did last year. I think it was like some 34 catches for about 400 yards or so, and then multiple touchdowns. Ertz just was and had an injury-riddled season. Um, you know, only 11 games that he played in and started. But the year before, he had 900 yards and six touchdowns. So uh, the Cardinals do not have currently a fourth-round pick, which I agree would probably be like the fair compensation as far as like, yeah, we'll invest into this player at least. So if you wanted to offer a fifth and try to go in, I think that's one area. It's just tough to be able to know like how many times you're playing, trading for a guy, and then you right. take a look at him, you're just like, oh gosh, like the injuries continue. Like I think of how Kime loves to do these low-risk deals, like he did one with Matt Barkley, but the Adrian Peterson one partway through the season stood out for the most part, at least to me, to, to see each yeah. of those. So it's like it's one of those spots where I would be potentially in favor for it. I think it's interesting is you may have to fend off the Buffalo Bills, a team that's also looking to kind of go all in that could probably pair a guy um, with, uh, what is it? I think it's, it's not Dalton at least for that one. I know they got their... Uh, uh, Dawson Knox. Dawson Knox, that's the one. I was thinking at least of uh, Andy Dalton for some reason. Dawson Knox is their other <laughs> tight end that they have. They could probably pair with another receiving threat considering the fact that they could then be able to say, hey, like, which of these weapons are you going to be able to stop? That may be a spot where if you cost, like, a say, a third that they're willing to give up, you know, the Niners gave up a second for Manuel Sanders. That's part of why I wonder if the Cardinals will wait and see how their team is doing before potentially making a move like that, just because you may want those picks at least if it gets off to a rough start to the year. Uh, As we wrap up today, at least, just wanted to know some of your outlook on the team, like, uh, whether it's going to be predictions. You don't have to obviously go game by game, as it's already five o'clock over here i know it's later on your side at least but what would be kind of some of what your expectations are for the team because john and i at least said that we think this should be a 10-win team we just wonder is the coaching at least and maybe some of the new younger players taking on huge roles in this team and maybe potential for injury does that hold them back where maybe there's a game or two that they drop or is this going to be a you know 10 win team similar to the cleveland browns that has a chance to vie for their division what are some of your thoughts on what we can expect from the arizona cardinals on paper heading into 2021 uh, i actually agree with you i think this is a 10 win a potential 10-win team, and you know, it's a very it's a very talented roster. Uh, you brought up the Browns, and the thing the main the main thing that really catapulted the Browns was everyone they, they everyone bought into the system, hmm. and the system bought into their players, and that's where again we talked about with Cliff Kingsbury, he has to show that he's this offensive-minded guru that everyone bragged about coming in to the league, and he has the weapons now to do so. But, you know, the, the, it's going to be, to me, the games that are going to be extreme. Of course, division games are always key. Knocking off the Rams, man, you know, that's going to be extremely key. Like, you know, get, if they can either split or take both of those, it's going to be uh, – though that, that game is going to be really key because of the fact that Aaron Donald has wrecked havoc for everyone since he came into the league. And, you know, he has – and Kyle Murray has to see him twice a season. So that matchup with him and Rodney Hudson is going to be a lot of fun to watch in the trenches. Um, I don't, like I said, I don't really know what to, to ex- truly expect from the Niners just yet. Uh, Cause we don't know what the quarterback, who's going to be quarterback. Uh, if it's Jimmy Garoppolo, I think we can win. Um, I'm not a big Jimmy Garoppolo guy. Uh, if it's Trey Lance, I'm, I'm a little hesitant there. Cause it's cause what he, <laughs> what he hey, adds to the run game. <laughs> Jimmy against Arizona in 2019 was amazing. Jimmy in the first part of the Cardinals in 2020 just looked like he was going to get benched at some point during the season just because right. of missing those throws and everything. And exactly. so it, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, definitely. I, I can say, I think it's a 10 win team. Um, defense is going to be so, so pivotal. Um, uh, and especially in the division uh, going against the Niners run game, George Kittle and those guys. And again, that's what we have those two athletic linebackers for. Um, and then, of course, Seattle, and they added Dwayne Eskridge, which is more speed to their to their receiving room of uh, Eskridge and Lockett and DK is you know. And now, of course, they still have Chris Carson. So, defense is going to play a big part in what we what we're able to accomplish. Um, and then, of course, like I said, Cliff Kingsbury, get the run game going. Uh, you know, get Chase Edmonds and James Conner going. Get that play action, that RPO game going. Get and force these second-level defenders to make this false step forward, so we can get over the top, get behind them with the quick passing game. Um, I'm excited. I'm gonna be honest with you. If Cliff King, if Cliff Kingsbury does it correctly, Rondell Moore could be in the running for offensive rookie of the year. Mm-hmm. 
Oh yeah, wow. I, I, totally. I actually this is like a hot take that I love ending shows with hot takes, but this one I actually like agree with as far as if they really target him. I don't know if he's going to get those targets as a rookie without some sort of injury for the most part is the big question that I have at least. But hey, if they're going to run tons of 10 personnel and he takes in that spot of just having him as a guy on the field suddenly hit a bubble screen, he just pushes over a guy who's like this, you know, 6-1 corner at least who got matched up on him who suddenly gets out physical by Rondale. Like, it'll be interesting uh, to see. Uh, Even if he doesn't do this year, when you're talking about Christian Kirk leaving A.J. Green's contract up, I've been telling people at least buy him in Dynasty because no matter what, even if he doesn't have this huge successful 2021, I I do think he could be a 2022 explosion candidate. So, And uh, he's a perfect complement to DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was part of why I was like very pushing for Arizona to like add a wide receiver, even though the corner group was weak, just like knowing they were still missing a piece on offense. Um, but yeah, hey, that's great. Hey, uh, why don't you go ahead, Damien, and be able to plug in for anything as far as for, uh, you know, you talked about your YouTube channel, anything else that you've been writing with Range of the Birds or any articles that you have. I would love to be able to hear you. This is kind of like your time to self-advertise at least to be able to <laughs> make sure that all the listeners can be able to follow your content. Absolutely, absolutely. You can find me on Twitter, DP underscore NFL. Uh, you actually you also find my college and NFL draft content over at the Crocker Report. Um, my YouTube channel, The Rush Zone. Uh, if you go to my um, Twitter page, it, it, the link is in the bio. Uh, of course, my first two pieces uh, over here at the Revenge Birds uh, was highlighting Chase Edmonds and why he's the reason we didn't draft a running back, um, in my opinion. And then, of course, the best way to utilize um, Rondell Moore Spoiler alert, it's Randall Cobb. So that's the way I look at it. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us, man. Hope to have you back on. Thanks oh, so much. Absolutely. You guys let me know.